As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Be the best and you got to pay a little price. If you want it bad enough, you got to do a little extra things to get it. Rich, can you hear me? I can. Wow. Oh my goodness. You know, I'm, I'm good. I, uh, what a, what a weekend, right? <laughs> How are things up in the Hollywood Hills? <laughs> uh, I wasn't in the correct tax bracket bracket to be there, um, yeah. by any means, but, uh, it was, uh, it was quite an experience. I, I don't think I've ever had a view of the, the city like that before. So, that was. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into it once we start this this podcast in earnest. But um, yes. yeah, it was a wi- <laughs> it was a wild experience, very out of body experience, um, but okay. very very cool. Um, all right, so we've got uh, wow, nice. We've got close to 100 people in here already. Um, hope everyone has had a good Monday so far, and we are probably going to get started. The way we're going to do this is we're going to record it like a live podcast, a live episode of 11 Personnel, but we are going to pause from time to time to also take questions from you guys. And if you have done these before with us, you know how it works. You can request to join us up on the stage and then um, ask a question and we will do our best to answer to the best of our abilities uh, and hopefully have some good banter with you along the way. <laughs> All right. So Rich, uh, if you're ready to go, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll roll us in. Get us going. <clears throat> Excuse me, let me take a sip of my coffee here. Everybody getting a peek behind the curtain to see how this actually <laughs> yes. uh, starts. 6.35 yeah. 6 p.m. coffee. That's Jordan the life. Jordan has to warm up for her dramatic pause. Uh, <laughs> That's the life. All right. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodriguez, and with me, as always, my fabulous co-host, Rich Hammond Rich. How are we doing? Jordan, we have a live semi-studio audience here. I'm looking at them. I, I see their their initials. They look great. You all look great. Your initials look great. Uh, this is so much fun to do this live for people who don't know what I'm talking about, who are listening to this like a normal podcast going, has Hammond lost his mind? Uh, yes, um, but we're also doing this uh, as a live room. So what we're going to do today, in addition to talking about the draft and talking about all the latest Rams news, is we've already got people lined up to ask us a, a few questions. So uh, we're going to take those and hopefully answer them well. I know everybody wants to talk about the draft, Jordan, and I know it was a, it was an interesting week for you. These things always were and are always are. And I love Jordan. I love not only the work that you did. But I love the experience that you got to have because sometimes when you cover a draft, you do it from a windowless room in team headquarters and they might throw some pizza at you and and, uh, you know, you, you try to do your job. You were really immersed in what was going on there in the Hollywood Hills. Uh, so can you maybe tell us a little bit just about what that was like to cover the draft that way? Yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. It was kind of amazing. There was uh, there was a very behind the scenes element to it. Um, a small group of media in attendance um, for this up in the Hollywood Hills and that big draft house that they rented out. And so the, so the way that they sort of sectioned the house out was all of the 
sort of war room elements were upstairs and then there was a large uh, large sections of meeting spaces and areas downstairs and it sort of all orbited around this large sort of living room op- like bar table dining room area that was massive um, where everyone would sort of congregate in between the happenings and, and even during the happenings um, because they had the NFL's filing board, which was, it, it, list, it lists the picks as teams filed them into the league. Um, and then of course the broadcast is about five minutes behind that. They had that big screen in that main room. So a lot of the coaches would come down and, and hang out in that area if they weren't up in the war room. Um, and it was interesting because you started getting cl- these little clues. First of all, super glad to see the environment and how these guys um, and women all interacted with each other and how the staff really functions because there was really that, that was eye opening to me. You hear a lot about this group and you hear a lot about of how they push each other competitively, but also they, they have a good time and they all really get along with each other and um, are all really invested in each other. And I got to tell you, you know, you always hear that and you're like, okay, yeah, that's just, you know, that's the head coach just saying that because that's the good thing to say. No, I got to tell you guys, like it was for real. This is a group that really genuinely enjoys each other's company. Um, There were some very, very loud later in the evening debates uh, that got extremely (laughs) heated. (laughs) Um, You know, at one point, one of the scouts went into the pool um, you know, there was, there was, everything was catered to the nines and there was uh, an open bar with a, a bartender that was there from like, you know, 10 in the morning until well into the next morning. Um, it just was a, it was a really, really interesting and very cool experience because then also you're seeing how the sandwich is made essentially. Like you're getting these yeah. clues. Position coaches are sprinting up up flights of stairs into the war room to call a prospect or, you know, you're seeing guys who are pulling Intel from each other in real time, taking these, these notes and getting on the phones with these UDFA prospects in real time. It's all unfolding right in front of you. And obviously there's an element of respect there where a lot of that is on background. And so you, you know, you don't necessarily sit there and um, you know, you're not trying to, uh, to scoop things and you're not trying to sort of ruin the uh, the moment of what you're getting to see and experience, because that was sort of the point of it is this is how this happens. This is how this works. And particularly in this unique space that they've built. So um, it was a really, it was really fun. My favorite moment, a couple fa- couple moments, one I'm writing about that I won't reveal um, until my piece comes out in the athletic later this week. But one I did share on Twitter. One of my favorite moments was um, Kevin Carberry was a, uh, getting a little anxious because the picks kept dropping and they kept getting close to 104 and he really wanted Bruss. They all really, really wanted Logan Bruss yeah. and he was real anxious. So he just kept loading up plates of food. And, <laughs> and I was like, I oh, this, is, this is such an alignment. I was like, Oh man, I feel this man, this, I, I re- relate to this. And, um, and so he kept loading up these plates of food and, and he and um, Nick Jones were in the corner sort of huddled up in the corner trying not to look at the TV or the, or the pick tip board. And um, they were, um, they just were kind of huddled over their plates and, and Kevin um, Carberry, he grabbed one more plate of food before sprinting upstairs. because He just couldn't stand it anymore. And they were getting so close to the pick and, and they knew that they were going with Logan Bruss. If, if he got to them, if he fell to them. So that was probably one of my favorite moments, such a cool insight of not only the, the coach's investment in the, in the player, and the guys that they love, but also sort of how these things unfold. You know, Stan Kroenke rolls in. I knew they weren't trading out of it because Stan Kroenke rolled in um, around pick 97. Mm-hmm. And and so I was like, oh, yeah, they're not there. He's not coming here just to watch them trade. And yeah. um, what and was so he wearing? I, uh, blue suit. Yeah. And so um, yeah. I and so it's interesting, you, you know, he kind of gets brought in the, uh, the, you know, the, the really fancy, like massive front door and, and shuttled up the stairs, <laughs> you know, you, they're trying to be discreet. It's super not discreet because of the, right. the, the state, the rest of the house was in at that point. So it was just, <laughs> it was just really, the whole thing was, was phenomenal. I'm excited to share more details about this, um, as I write more about it, but yeah, at the risk of rambling rich, it just was, it was a really interesting experience. I've never gotten to cover a draft like that. In my yeah, entire right. career, um, you know, I've covered a lot of top 10, top 12 picks, and that has been more 
windowless room style held at arm's length style and this you're you're literally watching these things happen and these guys you know navigate through um, how the board falls and I got to tell you that day three day three was one of the more exciting experiences I think I've had um, in my career because they put just specifically the strategy not the picks the picks are years you know the players scouting and all that that's years in the making but specifically the strategy of any scenario they could be presented with, any way the board could fall on that third day, the, the most important one for these Rams, um, they spent two months just on strategy, like yeah. pra- like w- going through these uh, these uh, sort of practice runs and trial runs and, and basically playing out every single scenario that possibly could happen. And then the one after that and the one after that and the ripple effect from that two months, just specifically just doing that. For one day and to wow. me I was like man that's that's an investment you, these guys all look like they ran a marathon afterward and um, <laughs> yeah it was it was really really interesting it was a fascinating experience yeah it, it really is and and just great for, for people to understand I mean even to, to be in that environment to be able to see these people as they're making these decisions and their interactions and their body language and what they're saying it's it's such an interesting glimpse that that most teams don't uh, allow people to to get. So kudos to the Rams for for opening things up like that and and showing the trust in in you reporters um, to, to do that. So uh, great stuff, and I know there's there's more to come. Uh, it's not done yet, and Jordan's just a, a fantastic job covering all of that. Now the, the Rams ended up making eight draft picks. I know I lost I'm a gonna- bet. Yeah, well, I know, count Tro- I count Troy Hill. It's nine. I was just gonna say I will. I'm gonna count Troy Hill as number nine because uh, very rare, very rare to see that uh, you know a player acquisition for a draft pick on draft day or draft weekend, as it were. Uh, and of course, Troy Hill coming home uh, to the Rams. So I, I know we'll probably discuss that in a minute in the context of of this draft. But you know, real quick, Jordan, I, I just I want to get your thoughts maybe on the on the class in general. It was to me. I've been trying to find the right word here, um, and I have settled on sensible. And and I don't mean that to say that other drafts were non-sensible. But what I mean is, is I look at the class, I look at the positions that were taken, I look at the order in which they were taken. And it it just made sense. Uh, There there weren't any picks in there, in, in part because the Rams didn't pick until 104. There certainly weren't any picks in there that were eye-popping that made you go, oh, my goodness, I can't believe, you know, they got that player. I mean, obviously, as you said, these position coaches are very excited to, to get the guys that they had been um, eyeing. But, you know, when you draft at 104, you're not, you're not, you're not fighting for the top prospects. But, but I, I thought the Rams did a uh, – disciplined might be another word for it in, in terms of they, they didn't make the reaches. They didn't make any of the, the luxury picks that we've been joking about uh, for the last couple weeks. I, I thought they did a good job of filling their needs, of addressing the positions uh, that made sense. They didn't draft a punter, Jordan. I know we're going to have to talk about that because I know we're all disappointed in that. But 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 when you got to the, the end of day three and, and you looked back at this class, it, did, did you have any general observations or thoughts kind of about the way that it, that it got put together? Yeah, I mean, it all made sense. And it was very intentional. That's kind of the way that I've sort of looked at it is there you could see with each pick, you can understand why they made the pick and where this person fits in either in the present or or in the context of the future. And I think that aligns with what you're saying, Rich, is yes, it was a very sensible draft. And I think they they cut out all of sort of like that extra sort of bullshit essentially that comes from, you know, maybe reaching on certain guys or um, getting excited about, you know, certain, uh, certain prospects. And they went with a lot of things that they know and their instincts at this point, they've built up over the last several years since they overhauled their draft process, um, you know, 2017, 2018, 2019. And since that time, you know, they've built up this, this, um, this process. And it's very, at this point, instinctual of, okay, you're looking for specific traits. You're looking at guys who can fill specific roles. Um, and you're also looking for people with very, very high profile, um, positive projection, athletic traits, um, and guys who are, are, are smart, really smart football players, because they're going to be asked to do a lot early on. 
every single one of these players fits that mold. They, they literally just sort of cut out all of the, I always kind of joke the foam on the latte. I know some, some people like that. That's fine. Um, <laughs> but I cannot stand foam or whipped cream on the latte. So I always, I always joke like they, they sort of just cut it, cut it out and they just, you know, went for the goods, right? Like, I just think this was every single pick they made. And also the pick points made a lot of sense to me. I know some people will say, you know, uh, Jacoby at 142 might have, you know, some people I saw in real time were like, oh, he's a little undersized that he might have, um, he might have been a reach. I, I disagree with that. I think you got to go read Bruce Feldman's piece in The Athletic about his weight gain. Um, this is not a 2-2 Atwell situation at all. This is a situation where he, you know, there, there is, there is a, um, uh, a sort of a way to project to project what these guys can hold on their frames and how they can do it. And I think when he's in a place that has the resources that, that the Rams do have, and, and particularly, you know, he, he was playing at a smaller school and um, super, super, I know he is super, super proud um, to be an HBU HBCU prospect. And it's, it's awesome what he is doing to sort of expand more um, the range and the reach uh, for teams looking at those prospects but also you have to think it's a smaller school as well. And so there's going to be a little bit of a curve in terms of what, you know, the nutri- you know, the tr- nutrition as these guys mature and they get older as they kind of get into that NFL programming. And I think that that's what the Rams really looked at. They did a ton of research on him and a very much, you know, how he projects and what his traits were. Um, and, and also just super, super bright young man, high character guy, super competitive, um, and they saw him play in, in big games. You know, Les Snead brought up the um, the Clemson game. He had a, he had a great game, and he didn't it, – it, what Les said that was interesting, he said to me, was it wasn't that he had a, just an outstanding game the entire way through. It was if he missed a couple times, he would just relentlessly come right back at his target. And yeah. I think that that's really, really important, especially the way the Rams play their defense. Yeah. I thought they needed to add safeties. I've been saying this for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, they've needed to add at least two safeties. Um, they added, you know, they added two really, really promising safeties. They needed to add a corner. They added a really promising corner who definitely fell because of some previous things that he went through. Um, and he, he knows that's why he fell. We talked to him today. He knows that's why he fell, but the Rams did a ton of background work on him and, um, he could compete for a starting position. I mean, he is that type of a player, um, and guys who can contribute, you know, a lot of guys who can contribute on special teams. Daniel Hardy is one of the most intriguing prospects to me in this class. And he's definitely going to compete on special teams immediately, his size and speed. The pure stokage from Jody Camillus when they grabbed him, um, yeah. that was that was a big deal. Um, and, and Jeremy Springer, the new special teams assistant coach, those guys were really, really stoked to get him. Um, as was Thad Bogardus, who was sort of pacing around before this pick because they really wanted this guy to fall to them um, at, the, at the round that they did. That The pick points of these guys, you know, a fifth-round running back, that is spot on to me. That's exactly where they needed to get a running back. They had to get a running back, and they got their guy, um, the guy that they liked um, as a staff, as a collectively, that they liked maybe over a couple of guys in that area to the point where they did do something rare, and that was trade up to get him. Um, and they really like Kyron and, and especially how ready he is to contribute right away because he's already got the pass pro element down. So, you know, Rich, it really is. I think it was sensible, but I think the way that these guys project, they threw what they knew, essentially. Like they really yeah. just they went with their pitches that they know best. And um, you could see this all throughout the class. Yeah, and, you know, great breakdown there of, of some of these guys. I mean, clearly this is going to be remembered as the secondary class. I mean, we, you only have eight picks, and, and four of them are, uh, you know, some type of defensive back. Uh, you, you can see where the thought process was here. And, Jordan, you were all over that. Uh, I, I'll be honest with you. I I'll never get a pick with... right. <laughs> I'll never get a pick right. <laughs> it, it, it never but I could do, I could get a position. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but I mean, these are the positions that we were talking about, right? I mean, we were talking about the offensive line. We are talking about the secondary running back. I mean, these, these are the, posi- the edge rusher. I mean, these are the positions that we have spent weeks talking about and, and they're the positions uh, that they filled. And, 
doesn't mean that these guys are going to step in right away and be starters or even backups uh, right away. But uh, but but it was a, it was a draft that that addressed the the needs of the team, and and I think that that doesn't always happen. As obvious as that might sound, uh, that doesn't always happen. Um, Jordan, we do want to talk. I don't want to skip over Logan Brass, but I want to I want to get back to him in a minute. And uh, we are going to take some questions. Uh, I want to ask you one more thing before we get to the questions. And and that is, you know, we mentioned Troy Hill um, and what a surprise. I mean, again, I, I can't remember. And if there's an obvious one, I'm going to feel stupid. Uh, but I can't remember that the last time that there was a, a draft day trade by the Rams, uh, that that brought a player back in for for a draft pick. It's just I I just can't remember one that that happened. Um, and then to have it to be Troy Hill, uh, and obviously who's who spent the early part of his career with the Rams, rose from a, a very low prospect. I believe what was he a sixth round pick, seventh round pick? Um, when he initially got drafted, came to the Rams, played his way into a bigger role, and then went off to. Uh, what appeared to be greener pastures in in Cleveland, um, and now is back. So, uh, Jordan, I, I know you spent a lot of time kind of talking about this and analyzing this. The fact that it's Troy Hill, what does that mean? And and the fact that they're bringing him into the secondary room, which is fairly crowded now, if everybody's healthy. When you talk about Jalen Ramsey, Robert Rochelle. Uh, David Long. I mean, these are guys who you were looking at maybe stepping up into starting roles potentially. Uh, how are these puzzle pieces potentially going to fit together over the next few months here? Yeah, and even better, uh, Troy was an undrafted free agent. So again, He's a UDFA. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah. So again, with that, the importance of that class um, that should be officialized and announced here uh, probably within the next day or so. Those are also really, really important guys um, to, to factor in because, as we know, with this team, they they become something. Um, yeah, the thing with Troy, it was really it was really interesting and actually really endearing that the entire house lit up uh, once it became clear. Like it was very hush hush. There was it was very clear something else was happening as they were about to pick uh, Dakobe at one forty two. And I think like Jalen even tweeted something out. So obviously he would have been GM, GM Ramsey. He would have been in the loop on this. Yeah. He tweeted something like, wait until you all see our next move or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was great. And so, um, and so it, it was very exciting for a lot of these guys um, who know Troy, uh, who love Troy. Now this actually was floated uh, in March. This was something where they thought, Hey, if, you know, if, if we can't, end up getting Gilmore. Um, here's a guy who we know, who we like, who we'd like to have back. And uh, he'll only cost us like a million seven um, in his, this last year of his, uh, con- his remaining contract. They had actually opened this conversation with Cleveland, just sort of seeing what was what. And I get the sense that really this expedited and it kind of all hinged on whether the board fell Cleveland's way as well in terms of, them being able to get the corner that they did at the time they did. So once that mm-hmm. happened, it was all systems go. Cause this was something that had been in the works for quite some time. This wasn't just a, a reaction to anything. This wasn't just a, um, you know, day of this, you know, Cleveland called us and let's see what happens kind of a thing. Like this had been in the works for a while. What was really cool was um, he immediately got on FaceTime with Raheem Morris and Eric Yarber and they went out by the pool and they just cut, cut up for a little bit and, I, I caught a, a glimpse of the phone as they were walking out by the pool and Troy was just gl- like, he was so happy. It was so cool. You can tell he was so excited to be coming back. And yes, there's a lot for him to prove, you know, had some injury issues last year in Cleveland and certainly, you know, didn't look like the version of himself that he looked like in, in 2020. But at the same time, there's something to be said for coming back and being around guys, you know, being in a defensive system that, you know, and I think really they're going to put him in the start. You know, a lot of people don't know that Troy was the first player Brandon Staley tried out in the star. And wow. um, Jalen ultimately moved into that position, obviously. But they yep. need to have that flexibility. So Troy will immediately compete, obviously, for that outside spot, along with Robert Rochelle and David Long. But Troy will also play the star for them um, and, you know, rotate with Jalen in that regard, depending on the matchup. And I think that's really good. You need versatility like that. You need guys who, know, you know, th- they know each other. They they know how it feels to play against or play against opponents together and 
how those rotations go. And, and Troy's presence also gives a couple more, a couple other guys in Darion and Jacoby time to develop a little bit as well. And I think that that's also important because it's, you know, these, these guys I think have a ton of upside and a ton of potential, but there is going to be a learning curve. Although um, one guy in this class was referred to as quote unquote, the second Jordan Fuller to me, and I'm sure you can guess who it was. Um, Quentin Lake um, at a UCLA hometown, hometown kid. Um, That's a rare scenario. And Ernest Jones is a rare scenario. Maybe one or two of your guys in a class is coming in and actually earning a starting spot with a roster that is this top heavy. So it is important for them to have a veteran presence. It also is not ill reflecting of Robert or David. It's just Troy also could play inside. So I think that that just was a ultimately, you know, help push them over the fact that he also is um, very, very friendly against the salary cap. They know him. They know he wants to be here. They know how he works, how he operates. Um, You know, I think it was a, I think it was a win-win as a future, what was a, a future fifth, um, right. so it was kind of a win-win situation and, and Troy again has a chance to ha- put together a solid season and make some money after that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is again, sensible. Let's go back to sensible and, and somebody, by the way, I've been scrolling the comments here and getting uh, great laughs. Uh, somebody pointing out that the draft is too much of a distraction from our uniform takes. I agree. 100%. <laughs> uh, and Joshua S just pointed out that the sensible draft sounds like an awfully pretentious microbrewery. And I, I, that's a great point. I could see oh, that. That's on like great. Some, some like oh, Oak that's sign great. or something, the sensible draft, the sensible yeah. draft. Yeah. Yes, and then, yes. and then uh, <laughs> that's a great one from Joshua S and then uh, yeah. Rich real quick, one more note yes. before we get to some questions. Yes. I do want to say this, this Troy Hill trade, it really, um, it illuminated a lot of what the Rams do with their comp formula. So, Last year, they got a six-round comp pick for Troy because he left in free agency. So they got Troy back, plus they had the comp pick that they used to pick up two other guys <laughs> like, right. like, cause, because they traded one. And so they, they uh, technically, one of those picks turned into two players and Troy, that comp pick. And they also got Troy back. So it's kind of like that's sort of how they (laughs) – I mean, it's a – someone said it was galaxy brain, and I I somewhat agreed because it's, you know, it's hard to visualize. But, like, it it, – it's that's just a sort of an insight as to how they they use those and and maneuver and and sort of think of those and how complicated the formula can be, but also how important the formula also is. Um, This this led to – you know, they entering this this weekend, there were some serious questions about particularly their cornerbacks room. And now I don't have those questions anymore. So I think that that was right. a that was a, a solid a solid bundling for them. Right. Right. Yeah. It always comes back to the comp picks, isn't it? The center of the uh, the center of the universe is the comp picks. Um, so never never far away. But yeah, great, great point on that in, in terms of the, the we always talk about asset distribution. Right. And that's uh, that's a good example of asset uh, distribution and, and how you can play that game and leverage your your draft picks and leverage those comp picks and, and get a player out of it. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes, but uh, certainly made a lot of sense there. So, Jordan, we've, we've gone on about a half hour here and uh, we've had some people patiently waiting to, to answer questions. We've got a lot of people, got 100 people in the room right now. And uh, so if people want to line up, there's already a few in the queue here. But uh, if you're on the app, that means uh, you're a subscriber. So first of all, thank you very much. Definitely appreciate that. And hope if you got you a discount. In, that's right. Yeah, a, gr- a great discount, I've heard, <laughs> uh, even. Um, so uh, we're, we're going to try to take some quick questions from you and so that we can uh, get to Jordan's answers. I'm sure there's some stuff we haven't covered yet. So let's try to jump in and hope that Rich doesn't screw this up. And let's, hey, look at this. The first guy is Richard H. That is a fantastic name, I would have to say. So let me uh, try to get you on board here, Richard. I think so. Am I? Yep, we got you. You are. Go ahead. We got you. You are. Go ahead. Okay. Well, thank you for taking my question. I've been uh, basically – uh, a member of the athletics since Jordan joined the staff, to be honest with you. So I really appreciate all your coverage. Um, my question is obviously there's a lot of content as you state about the draft and everything else that's been going on. And, you know, the, one of the things that we talked a lot about was 
drafting a punter, and your thought was, I think, Stout or sorry, a Jordan S from the, the the draft, and it didn't work out because there was a run on punters. I noticed on the UDFA list, um, we picked up, you know, Dicker the kicker, who was punting and field goal kicking and all that. And so I was just wondering, what is? Have you heard anything about him being a potential? a competitor to uh, for that position and potentially even uh, also I was curious about that. I noticed that one of the UDFAs um, was got a bonus to sign the person from the Seminoles, a defensive end. Did you hear anything about that individual and his capacity to try to stick to the, uh, stick to the team post, uh, you know, uh, preseason. Thank you. Thanks, Richard. Great questions. Um, yes, uh, Dicker the kicker will aid them in their hunting for punting. Very proud of that oh. one. <laughs> very, very Sounds proud like of that one. Sounds like a headline right there. Yeah, you know what was really interesting was so they the Rams came into this draft. They did so much due diligence on all of the punters, and Jordan Stout was actually like the highest guy on their board. This is a Penn State punter. Um, I had heard that they worked him out in State College, Pennsylvania, in the snow and wind outside. And apparently he was just nails. And this was really kind of a cool detail, but also one that, you know, quietly teams were sort of trying to lobby each other and sort of leverage each other. And, um, you know, you, you didn't see his name actually out there a lot, which is sometimes a sign that this guy would be the first, you know, one of the first punters off the board um, even over uh, the punt god. And I think that this was really, really interesting. They think, you know, they and other teams that I talked to through this process um, think that Jordan Stout's like a 10-year punter. But at the same time, how do you uh, how do you talk internally about what you're going to use your draft capital on versus what you're not going to use your draft capital on? I think if he would have lasted until the sixth round, if, there, if, a, if a little run didn't happen on punters earlier on, um, I think that there, he's someone they would have seriously discussed using one of those three six rounders on. But at the same time, you know, they, they were also sort of under the assumption that it wasn't going to happen. Um, a couple of people even thought he might go even as high as like the early fourth. That's how much that's how high certain teams were on uh, were on him. Um, so it was interesting. And then their other top guys, a bunch of their guys who they really, really liked, the board did not fall their way. Um, they also were drafted. And so when it comes down to it, then you're sort of recruiting as it, when you're calling UDFAs, you're sort of recruiting who is going to come, um, you know, play for you essentially. And I think that you're also, and then in, in that regard, you're also competing against other teams who are also calling these players. And so, um, you know, Cameron Dicker, I think he's a really intriguing, interesting and talented individual. I think, yeah, obviously, he uh, you're going to see a little bit more of that versatility and really what he can do. They also really like Riley Dixon, Riley Dixon and Jody Camillus were together way back in, in Denver and um, Jody's really high on the guy. So it, it's, you know, the, drafting a punter or bringing in another punter is absolutely was a need. Um, if they want uh, Dicker to be another leg, just in field goals and kickoffs for the preseason, um, then, which I, I doubt, I feel like they'd ask him to do all of these things because he, he's already done all of these things. Um, then sure. I could see them bringing in another leg. It's really important that you, um, that you bring in multiple legs, <laughs> just like it's important to have multiple arms throwing the football in training camp. And the Rams are going to want to have four. Ultimately, you also want multiple legs because you can use the jugs machine to to throw punt or to kick punts, quote unquote. But there's really nothing like uh, fielding punts against a live leg, and it really helps these guys, um, you know, continue to to make progress on special teams. Outstanding! It's it's going to be a fun special teams training camp, Jordan. Special teams summer. Looking forward oh, to it. Oh yeah, the summer of special teams. That'll be awesome. Yeah, I mean we didn't even mention. I mean OTAs uh, ongoing, and and that'll continue to ramp up till there's actually some football activities and, and a mini camp uh, at some point here. So, uh, as we always say, the wheel the wheel never stops spinning. Some questions to answer, but uh, they definitely have some options there. All right, what do we got? Uh, I'm gonna load up. John P. here. John, how are we doing? 
Uh, did we wait too long for John? I hope we didn't put him to sleep. It was All my right. pun. Yeah, just, he, he just died laughing. Is, I think is what it was. It was my right, my well, pun was so bad he left the chat. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's try uh, Mosiah. Sorry if I got that wrong. Mosiah, are you there? No, yeah, I'm here, Rich. Can you hear me? I can. How are you doing? Uh, how are you guys doing? Hey, Jordan, how are you? What's up, man? How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. For long-time listener, first-time caller. Thank uh, you. I love it when you guys do these live shows. Thank you. I can't wait to do these what, during the season. Oh, yeah. We're, Absolutely. We are going to um, have some fun with these during the season. <laughs> Uh, awesome. Looking forward to it. And uh, uh, real quick, I got my question out the way. Jordan, it's more for you since you're inside the room and I see you got a real great pulse on the team. As far as Les Snead's, like, draft strategy, I mean, I've been a Rams fan a long time. St. Louis since Marshall Falk. He's my favorite player growing up. And, you know, the more I grow up, the more I'm starting to understand the game, football. And that's why I love your insight because you, you bring us probably bring us fans that insight. And as far as his strategy, just watches the way Les drafts. When there's a problem on the team or he sees a weakness on the team, he seems to throw as many darts at that problem as he possibly can. Like with this year, with our secondary, of course, behind Jalen losing Darius, you see, okay, we had Troy, we had David, we had Robert. But, you know, I mean, most fans would say we don't really know what those guys have over 17-game season in playoffs. We know they had good stretches, but what can they really do? And the way he throws the darts at, the six-round pick guy and and the I forgot the kid the early kid name that one at um South Carolina the way to add him and then adding another guy no one saw adding Troy Hill so just throwing as many darts as he possibly can at the problem or is it just a best player available strategy he goes with because he kind of did the same thing with the offensive line drafting Brian Allen and Joseph Nopum senior I think two other guys whose names slipped me they didn't stick but again four offensive linemen in one draft to end up sticking. I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah, Mosiah, first of all, thank you so much for the kind words. Um, and I see you also got that sweet, sweet discount. So hell yeah, man. Um, but I, yeah, that's absolutely part of it. And, and really, when you're picking in the later rounds as they are, you have to increase those dart throws. Uh, you have to be intentional about which positions you're going to do that for. And then you also have to, um, you know, really sort of lean on your process at that point. Like the interesting part of this was we, we mentioned a little bit at the beginning um, when Rich and I were talking about our impressions of this class is like, they clearly, they quite clearly leaned on a lot of the things that they do best. I think that this team is fantastic at identifying safeties and corners and especially some of those high projection, um, high upside traits that these guys have and particularly at safety which is one of the hinge spots spots on their roster as a whole. It helps them keep financial balance across their defense. Um, they're, they've gotten very, very good at identifying safeties. And I think, and, and also projecting how they will develop. And I think that when you kind of know that one of your biggest questions has an answer that simple, you don't maybe overthink it. Um, and, oh, my God, I just sounded like less saying that. So, I'm going to go dunk my head in the sink or something now, but, <laughs> but, but you don't, you know, you, you try not to overthink it. Um, and, and so um, it still obviously still has to fall your way. You still, the board still has to fall the way that you think it will fall. Um, and I think in the Rams case for most, if not all of these picks, it did fall the, their way. And it, it's a good observation because this, uh, this is, he, he does have 
patterns in this regard. When you can kind of tell when the Rams are aware of a of a pure need, um, and clearly, you know, they've got this red shirt class coming back. That's ba- that you know, the entire offensive class essentially that draft class that was hurt last year. So then it becomes even more of a, an apparent need um and and a lot of teams will say like oh no we draft best player available we don't draft for need and honestly that's not true and i think that that's silly to say because you you always are having to add um where where it makes sense for your team and i think the rams sort of put that that uh coach speak and, and group think sort of aside in this process and go after the guys that they like that fit their system really well and they really know how to find defensive backs from their analytics department um, to their scouting department and to their coaching and development process. Like these guys can really find DBs. And so when this becomes a need, um, it, it becomes almost the simplest answer to the question. It was one of your biggest needs on your roster. And it also happens to be something you're very, very good at. So just go all in for it. Yeah. I mean, we, it seems like we see that time and time again with these uh, with defensive backs, especially with the safeties. So after a while, not a coincidence anymore it's a pattern um and uh, that's why i'm fascinated to see how some of these guys uh play out and and how they fit into the future because you know the rams are always looking ahead too jordan and you you mentioned in your stories and by the way if i haven't said it already everybody should be all over the stuff that you have put out uh over the last few days your takeaways from the draft and then most recently we didn't even mention a position by position depth chart that's already looking ahead to some of these battles that we might be talking about um, and of course, within that is, you know, some guys are in contract years. You don't know who's going to come back. So you st- you're always looking a year or two ahead uh, with this sort of thing. But, you know, Jordan, before I uh, get back to the questions, Kenneth V, I see you there. I'm, I'm not going to forget about you. So hang on. But uh, there's a couple of questions in the chat. And Jordan, you know where this is going. You you know we're not going to get through a podcast episode or, or some any type of question and answer period without an Odell Beckham Jr. question. Um, so now that the, the, the kind of the, the sand does or the, the, the ground has settled uh, with the draft, um, is there anything you're anticipating? Is there any kind of timeline? What can you tell the people who just cannot get enough of uh, Odell Beckham Jr.? Yeah, the and I don't blame them. He's awesome. But I, I this is really <laughs> this this is just going to continue to be fluid. And honestly, it, this is a situation where it's almost like no news is maybe good news. You know, um, I again, I hate to sound like a broken record for those who have kept up with with um, all the coverage over the last um, couple of months since since the Super Bowl and when the Rams knew they'd be faced with some of these big decisions, but. This is a absolutely a case where um, sort of everything has been presented. The options are on the table. It's it still my sense has been and my understanding has been for, for quite some time now that um, the Rams want to do a multi-year deal, uh, very incentive heavy, probably that first year, and then a little more flexibility on the back end. Um, and it, it's because of the injury, because they, they wouldn't expect him to be back until November um, and then would hope that he could contribute for them down the stretch and maybe again into the postseason, just just like he did last year um, with great effect. And this is an example of it is absolutely correct and right and fair for the player to want to take his time and establish his yeah. process and figure out, is this really going to be the best fit for me? After this second pretty serious injury, um, as I continue to rehab, is it going to be the best scenario for me or is there somewhere else that maybe will either maybe offer me more guaranteed security um, somewhere that maybe wants to do a couple more years on this thing, depending on some milestones he hits? He's going to start hitting soon in his rehab um, as, t- as this time has passed. Um, and, and also he's recovering from a serious knee injury and a surgery. And that was only, uh, that was only in what mid February. So this, this is just going to take some time. You know, there, there are no updates. You're going to just see a lot of stuff floating around as always happens this time of year. But that is the foundation of where the Rams are at right now. They really want him back. Everything has sort of been outlined already. They understand, um, and, and are, It seems to me, my impression is that they're completely understanding of of him wanting to take his time. There's not a rush on this. Again, he wouldn't be contributing until halfway through the season. I would think they'd want to make sure he's in their building doing rehab with Reggie Scott and Byron Cunningham. 
um, for very obvious reasons. And but at the same time, there is not a rush on this. Um, everything has sort of been presented. And whether or not he determines that that's the best decision for him to make, fine. And, and if it's not, if, if it's, you know, the money's not there and he can get more money elsewhere, also fine. I mean, yeah. I know that Rams yeah. fans would not be thrilled about that. But at the same time, this, per- this guy just had a baby, started a family. He's going through an, another injury. He's at the point in his career where it is absolutely right and fair for him to do the ultimately exact best thing for himself and his family. Um, yeah. And so I think that that's just all factoring in right now. I'm not going to speak for him, obviously, but it is something where it, it's just going to, it's just not, it, there's not going to be a timeline on it. And the in the Rams regard, there certainly is not like some sort of deadline here. Like right. they're, they're kind of like, Hey man, we'd really like to have you back. Take your time. Um, right. You know, of course I would imagine their offer, especially in the first year is not on the higher side again, because of the injury, but at the same time, when uh, speaking with a couple of these executives at league meetings in March, I did get the impression that the second year on a multi-year would be a lot more flexible um, and, and open for negotiation, depending on where they stood uh, after his recovery process. So that's all I have. I, I'm going to start uh, recording that and then just playing it. Um, I'm, I'm going to make it my ringtone. So every time I get <laughs> questions and it's totally fair again, like this is, this is a, an unusual and sort of unique process. So it's totally fair to be asking these questions. Please keep asking these questions, guys. But also I have no, this is, this is what it is. This is where it's at right now. Right, right. <laughs> it's uh, understandable, as you said, understandable. But uh, also people uh, need to know, again, uh, to say there's no deadline on it, I think is probably the pertinent uh, phrase there. Uh, there's, no, there's no panic. There's no uh, timeline, anything like that. It, it'll happen um, when it happens. And, and when it does happen, Jordan will be on it. I guarantee you that. So follow along at Jordan Rodriguez on Twitter. Try not to ask her every day, maybe like every couple of days. And, uh, and, and I see <laughs> a good, a good, good point, Rich. And I see a good question from Greg. I here. I just wanted to get to this really quick. Is OBJ rehabbing on his own or does he get to rehab with the Rams trainers? So if you're a free agent, you are not, you don't have access to the NFL. Like you have to be on a team to have access to the facilities or you have to be on injured reserve with that right. team to have access to the facilities. So right. honestly, and you know, this guy has got world-class training and world-class trainers, but in terms of the Rams monitoring certain milestones and also getting into that real granular sports science that the Rams do use, I think that would be probably be their preference if he were in their building, if he is going to play for them longer term. Um, and, and it's also, it's a, it's a player preference as well. Um, you, uh, you, but you don't have access to the facilities, uh, in that regard, if you are not, uh, an, an active member of the team. Yeah. Yeah. Thank Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. Um, okay. We got a little bit of time. Uh, Kenneth V has been hanging on. So let's bring you on Kenneth. How you doing? And, uh, what's your question? All right. Am I on? You are, sir. All right. Just making sure. Yeah. I, I was on headphones and all that but anyways um yeah so basically i love this team love you guys and we have the best beat writer ever so you know hey um and i was hoping we'd sign ryan wright punter i mean this is like a renaissance of punter year but you know uh he went to the vikings but you know with all these people picking up punters there's gonna be leftover punters coming back online that we could pick up if we need so i'm not too worried about that um what i'm wondering if we need to change this podcast to 12 or 13 personnel because you know with no (laughs) draftings of uh, wide receivers or signings and things like that. I, I'm I'm kind of looking ahead, thinking we're going to have see a slightly different offense this year. And the linchpin for me, possibly, and I this is my question, is Jacob Harris. How's he looking? How's his health looking? How's his body looking? I know when we grabbed him, he was 211, and he was too small to be a tight end. And so I, I really see him kind of moving in that H back role. So has he bulked up? Is he looking good? Do you think they're going to have plans to make him, you know, kind of that 12, 13 personnel tweener guy? who's mixing up and giving us options. All fantastic questions, Kenneth. Thanks for your patience and waiting for us and also for your kind words and also for your great questions. I feel like that was like an all time. <laughs> that was like an all time. That was a perfect seat. call. He had some jokes in there. He had yeah. some like that. There were some elements. I was impressed. And, and that's also a point that I think is important to consider um, about the punt. The punters is, yeah, guys, look, guys are going to get cut. So, the, you know, if the Rams, this, you hope that the Rams don't end up in a situation such as the one they were in with their kickers a couple years ago. 
Um, ultimately, they did find Matt Gay, who had been released from other places um, and through that entire process. But they went through a several guys first, as we all uh, remember and, and uh, drove some of us to drink. But I think that it was it, it's a great punt, uh, a great punt, a great point <laughs> that um, <laughs> that you guys that, that uh, it, it's a it's a great point that Kenneth brings up here was like, yeah, there's going to be guys. Uh, this was a stacked a renaissance of punters, I think, as he put it, which is true. So there's going to be lots to choose from. OK, so I I think you're still going to see a ton of 11. Um, I think that the Rams you can see some of the way that they've shifted um, that offense more into those drop back and gun concepts last year. And a lot of those empty sets, that's going to continue moving forward. Um, and they also have kind of a deep receivers room. However, it's um, it's got guys who really need to take that next step forward. So right now you're looking at like Cooper cup, Allen Robinson, Van Jefferson, you're looking at Brandon Powell, who is going to return kicks and punts for them. But if he wants to factor in their roster numerology on game days, you have to figure out also if he can work into the offense itself, which is probably why he's on a one-year deal right now instead of a multi-year deal, trying to figure out where he's at in that regard. Ben Skoranek, Jacek, or excuse me, Jacob Harris, and Tutu Atwell. Um, and we'll sort of remain to be seen sort of how they are going to factor Tutu in. Um, but Jacob Harris, I, I, I see the very clear plan for Jacob is um, they're going to continue to utilize him as that detached from the stack um, tight end. They're going to continue to use him as a passing game mismatch. I don't think you're going to see this guy doing a lot of H-back stuff. Actually, I see it more likely that Ben Skoranek is doing some of that H-back stuff um, versus Jacob Harris if you were maybe going to pick between the two. And I think that you're going to see just a lot of downfield passing. You saw uh, glimpses of that before he had the, the injury last year. I saw him at the facilities a little while back um, for Andrew Whitworth's um, retirement press conference. He was around and um, he was walking fine. He did not look like he lost any mass. But when he was drafted, I did hear from a couple of people in the building that they did want to keep him around this weight, if not maybe just a couple pounds heavier, because they want his speed and his vertical ability. And that's something that's going to be really interesting is he's going to be learning, too, from Allen Robinson. This is a pairing that I want to watch through the spring and, and summer and then through training camp is how Jacob Harris sort of what he absorbs from Allen Robinson, because he was splitting time between the tight ends group and the receivers group last year. But I almost wonder if they're just going to full time move him over into that receivers room to sort of catch up on some of the things that he missed um, last season. And so that, that's where I think you're going to see that now based on their tight end numbers right now. I don't know that you're going to see a ton of 12. I know we all love 12 personnel. Um, we're big fans of it to the point where we we did angst a little bit about maybe having to rename our our podcast. Um, but yep. where I think. Where I think you're going to see the biggest difference here is actually you, you might see them run more 22. Like I think you're going to see them run more two back sets and especially getting these backs in empty formations as pass catchers. I think you're going to see them push really hard um, to get these guys involved in the passing game as much as possible. Um, and, and really, you can kind of also see that in the way that they moved their draft. The guy that who was high on their board, who they ended up trading up for, is a pass catching back. Now he's got some power to him and he will uh, just knock you on your ass and pass pro. And, and it's pretty, it's pretty fun to watch, go back and watch some of his tape in that regard. Um, the, the, the minute he was drafted, Kyron Williams, the minute he was drafted, some of the guys downstairs all at the same time said pass pro. So you kind of know, like that's where, <laughs> that's where they're thinking at, at that regard. But, but I, so I think you're going to just see a lot of those running backs worked into um, more passing situations in that regard. And you're going to see a lot of these concepts continue to move forward in this way, but great series of questions. Um, and hopefully that, that answers a little bit. Again, a lot of this, you're going to, you know, I, I won't see it until, uh, you know, spring, I have access to spring workouts here a little bit later um, in the spring, but that's kind of where my sense, what my Intel has said, my sense of where things are moving. Um, and they could still add a, another tight end via their UDFA class. They had a couple tight ends who were high on their board, um, but didn't, it just didn't fall that way. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Jordan, my heart was all a flutter when you, when you said two, two back sets. Wow. I know. It's, uh, it's, I don't know whether I, it's, it's going to take me a while to recover from that. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to 
help me handle that. But uh, yeah, it, it, things are always evolving, right? I mean, uh, we talked about that time and time again, whether it's the offense or the defense. I mean, you can't keep doing the same things over and over again. It, the coaching uh, in the NFL is, is a constant, constant game of adjustments and readjustments and then adjusting to those readjustments. So it, teams are going to be looking at what the Rams did this past season and trying to figure out how to stop it. And the Rams are going to be doing their own self-scouting and and figuring uh, they already have been, by the way, I don't mean to say they're going to start. Uh, I've already been doing their own self-scouting and figuring out where teams are going to try to exploit them and, and trying to correct those uh, issues before they even become problems. So uh, this is the way it goes. And it's, it's part of the fun of, of following this and, and seeing how these rosters kind of evolve and, and take shape. But, you know, yeah. Jordan, I, 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 sorry, do you want to add to that? Oh, yeah, just one more quick yeah. point. And, again, this wouldn't be an 11 personnel episode without me rudely cutting you off at some point, Rich. Sorry about that. No, but, please do. But I, I also think, too, it's interesting the way things cycle back around. But this this is really particularly fascinating to me because Sean McVay, in part, and Brandon Staley, in part, and, of course, ultimately, originally, Vic Fangio, but – Sean McVay, when he brought Brandon Staley in um, and then continued to move the def- this defense forward under Raheem Morris, um, sort of forced a catalyst in the, in the regard of um, teams want teams want to match that defensive system with the sort of McVay-Shanahan offensive system. And so once that becomes the norm, wh- what do you do to adjust to move forward? Well, well McVay sees this coming because of that time that he was with, uh, with Brandon, sees this coming, and then – you know, needs to continue to push forward, goes and gets Matthew Stafford. They changed the offense um, to do some of those concepts and, and have some of those elements that were very much not Sean McVay uh, sort of security right. blanket system items that you'd seen since 20, 2017. And, um, and, and you also at the same time saw the defenses across the league start to um, uh, catch up in a way where, you know, and that's probably saying it uh, reductively because it's everyone's evolving and that's not the case necessarily, but uh, that's the best way I can describe it in my head. Um, and now more defenses are playing that too high shell than ever before. So, okay, if you, if you are not going to go with like, you know, really heavy jumbo sets with extra tackles with uh, a downhill running back, who's a difference maker, which the Rams are they don't, I mean, that's just, they, they had it in case of an emergency break glass, but they clearly have moved away from that. They don't, they didn't bring back Sony. Um, you know, the guys that they have on their roster are not downhill, necessarily downhill backs. Kim Akers has great power, but he really is dangerous as a pass catcher, as a, as a two cut guy, as a vision guy. And so I think that um, you're seeing now those two, as those two high shells have increased across the league, one of the counters that's not, inch by inch, you know, you know, picking away the way that the 49ers did, the Packers did at times against the Rams last year, you're seeing two back sets are a way to counter this because of the catch and run uh, availability of all of your eligible receivers on the field. And also the different contours and constructs you can use um, the the way that you can make a defense declare um, when you have two backs or even when a back or two backs are up and empty, the way that you can uh, basically flip, those structures on their heads and, and, and make the defense have to counter to you instead of vice versa. That is something that is a weapon against this sort of uh, continued relevance of these two high shells in the league. And so it's very, that, that whole thing, speaking of galaxy brain, that whole thing is super (laughs) interesting to me. um, And the way that you can sort of start to see these evolutions and cycles um, work through it, it's fascinating and again it's it's all like <laughs> you know brought it into his own system to try to troubleshoot it and figure out you know what right. how to do the next thing that was coming later um right. No, right. knowing that it would not only work but also be adopted by other teams across the league yeah exactly i mean just my goodness i mean the, the amount of work that has to go into something like that i, I don't even know how you process it um but uh but yeah we've, we've certainly seen that play out so uh, let's Jordan, let's, let's get to one. Why I'm feeling if, if this is the same Joshua S who gave me the same, who gave me the comments uh, about the sensible draft. I feel like we owe it to him to, uh, see what his question is. So, uh, Joshua, are you there? And are you, are you the, the proprietor of the, uh, of the sensible draft? No, no, I, oh, not... well, all right. Well, now the pressure's on. Now you have to ask a really good question because I, uh, I set you up here. So. Okay. I, I look forward to disappointing <laughs> you. Um, <laughs> That's right. 
Oh, so, um, you know, Jordan, you're talking about, you know, the self-scouting, the, the two-back sets, just innovations going into this, you know, new season. And it got me thinking about how Sean McVay's offenses have this tendency of when you look at EPA to kind of dip around Thanksgiving time, hit a wall, then spill over the wall and, you know, land in broken glass. Do you do you see him making any kind of adjustments or looking at himself critically there? Or maybe am I just imagining things? But it feels like his offense always takes a dip midseason. First of all, great question. Thank you. Don't let Rich talk you talk you down on that one. That was a great that, question. You didn't I like the picture. Yeah. I like the picture you painted as well. That was nice. Um so yeah, I think that was that really I think really irked him uh, last year, honestly. I think, I mean, that was a real wake-up call for for a lot of these guys. And and also, you know, the sort of catastrophic injury situation that they ended up in around that time, plus with so many moving parts, guys being added to the offense, and then they lose Robert Woods, and losing Sebastian Joseph Day was huge right around that time as well. Um, They certainly were not expecting to uh, have to adjust in that way. But what was really interesting was I think they really learned a lesson about um, forcing catalysts into your system, essentially. The catalyst that helped get them on track was missing more than half of their roster after that COVID-19 outbreak and basically having to change their entire run game um, and injury, honestly, with Cam and and Daryl being hurt, and changing their entire run game uh, in order to specifically maximize the personnel they they had remaining on the roster, um, you know, Bryson Hopkins getting some time as an extra tight end, Joe Noteboom, who'd been just backing up Whitworth um, as that extra tackle, Sony Michelle becoming the heartbeat and really helping them find what they were missing. You know, Robert Woods was a rhythmic heartbeat in so many ways um, for this team, especially in the run game and what he could do for them. And then so overhauling that and, and putting the onus on Sony, I think was, was absolutely invaluable. I think they, First of all, I I think that they very much uh, went through it together um, in terms of being uh, uh, just, you know, we have to dig ourselves out of this hole, essentially, um, during that time, during that slump. And also, I mean, Sean, Sean knew, I mean, he we were we were telling him about this data for his. Uh, his his November offenses, I mean, it was right there in front of his face, uh, pretty much every press conference. And so this was something that um, he was very aware of. And I think the way that they dug themselves out of it, it was um, environmental catalyst and then also figuring out how to adjust and adapt in real time when the entire thing starts to implode. Um, you know, you want to see it happen in the bye week, obviously, uh, you, you also don't want your quarterback to be turning over the football the way that he was during that time. Um, but overhauling and, and schematically overhauling the way that they did, I think they see now, they sort of felt what that was, where they were sort of teetering close to the edge of that cliff, that their season could have completely tanked after that. Um, and they and they didn't. They sort of found a way to, found several ways to, to right the ship. And I think that that was a huge lesson for a lot of those guys, not the least for Sean, um, I would be interested. I will be very interested to see what happens in November this year because statistically, um, he comes out with something really interesting and new and different. And the league spends the rest of you know defenses they they spend the first half of the season, September October, um, sort of figuring it out, and then they have counters for it later in the year. And you can you can pretty much measure that every single year, and it's something that is talked about. Um, and so it's kind of like, how do you then pivot again? before you have to. And I think that that's going to be sort of the magic, uh, the magic numbers is how many weeks can you go before you have, before you have like to pivot before you have to, before it's urgent that you have to. Um, so that'll be kind of uh, the, the name of the game and getting those November numbers back up. Because again, you know, that could a couple wrong moves either way. Uh, they, they've pulled through most of the time these last, you know, what, six years, seven years, yeah. But a couple moves the wrong way in November that's not going going right for the team and, and the rest of the season sort of implodes. So um, definitely think that was a learning experience for all of them. For sure. Yeah. And, and we'll learn more in the in the coming weeks here about the schedule and, and how things look. And 
when some of those division matchups are. There's there's so much to talk about, Jordan. And um, congratulations on making it through the draft. <laughs> I know it's. Uh, I hope you got some of that bacon too. Did you get some of that like like five pounds of bacon that they were cooking, or was that all just for the staff? I will tell you, uh, yeah. I did get some bacon. I had oh, I had yeah. an all I had an all bacon breakfast standing. Oh. Standing outside near the pool, a plate piled yeah. high with bacon. I looked yeah. to my left, also standing outside by the pool, his plate piled high with bacon, <laughs> special teams coordinator Joe D. Camillus. <laughs> so I cannot even tell you how, I mean, I already respected him, but I can't even right. tell you how much higher the level of respect went <laughs> in my book right. at that time. <laughs> Wish we had a picture of that. You, t- the two of you standing together with the giant plates of bacon. That would have been uh, fantastic. But uh, thank you, Jordan, for all your, your great coverage uh, throughout the draft. And uh, I'd like to say that you get some downtime now, but I know that's not true because you're going to be carrying this right on through OTAs and uh, everything else that's coming on, all the, the weekly Odell Beckham Jr. questions. Um but congratulations on a, on a fantastic week of coverage. Um, and, of course, thank you to, to all of our subscribers. This, these are so much fun, and uh, we enjoy them. And thank you for joining us. And for anybody who came in late, by the way, the, the numbers, of course, go up and down. Not everybody gets to listen to the whole thing. So if you just maybe caught the end of it, this is going to be turned into a podcast that, that you'll be able to listen on all of your normal outlets, Apple, Spotify, Google, whatever it is you use, you'll be able to find it there uh, shortly. So we will mix these in from time to time. Thank you for the for the questioners. We got some great stuff in there. Uh, plenty of people who could uh, co-host this show with Jordan instead of me. But uh, but thank you all for your great questions. And uh, Jordan, onward we go. I know we're going to have maybe a special guest or two in the near future. I'm really excited about that. And, uh, of course, you can follow along with Jordan every day on Twitter, at Jordan Rodrigue. I'm there also, at Rich underscore Hammond. And Jordan... If you're not already subscribed to The Athletic, if you've been on the fence, somebody told me, I don't know if this is true, it seems far-fetched, but somebody told me that if you go to theathletic.com slash 11 personnel, we get some, you get something very special that might be your favorite thing in the world. Do you know anything about that, what it might be? A great discount. Sources oh close goodness. to the situation confirm oh my that anytime you subscribe to The Athletic through the 11 Personnel Podcast, you get my favorite thing in the world, which is a great discount every single time. Not sure how we uh, can still have that happen. Uh, hopefully none of our bosses are listening to this live because we are still shoving that discount through for you guys. Anytime you subscribe to The 11 Personnel, or to, I always do this, Rich. To The Athletic, through The 11 Personnel Podcast, <laughs> you get my favorite thing in the world other than a piled high plate of bacon, which is a sweet, sweet discount. You guys, we so appreciate you tuning in with us. Thanks for everyone who gave us great feedback about the best time to do this. Um, we'll have a lot more of these coming your way through the spring. And, and like I mentioned before, man, we're going to have a hell of a time doing these during the season. That will be super fun. And uh, it will only increase our, our episode, uh, our number of episodes as well. I know that uh, that's something that was important to a lot of you guys was getting more episodes per week. Um, this does make it a lot easier uh, for us to do that. And we really appreciate you. Thanks for following along. Thanks for listening, subscribing, leaving great comments. You can find me in the comment section or on Twitter anytime you have a question. And we'll catch you next time. 